Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Baffled. You think I'm silly, or maybe dangerous. Well, I'm neither, and I have none of the powers which I'm convinced that you have. It may come as an unpleasant shock to you, Michelle. But I'm not scared of black cats, Friday the 13th, or walking under ladders. As a matter of fact, every once in a while, I get my kicks walking under a ladder. Not strange at all, considering who you are. Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast that explores forgotten and underseen science fiction television. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan, and this week we're joined by a guest. What's real, Will? Hey, guys. <laughs> that was some delay there. What's real? What's real? That's our that's our catchphrase when we start the show. <laughs> usually, I ask Jordan though. Jordan, what's real? Uh, and he usually yeah, pauses. I, I just always like forget. You. Every single week, he asks me what's real, and then I go, "Oh no, I should have thought of something that was real." But it's okay. It's only been fifty episodes or so. So your reaction was as authentic as it normally yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's real is we're talking about baffled exclamation mark. <laughs> yes, the first show we've watched was an exclamation point in the title. I love it. So, well, I think you know a little bit about the podcast and what we do here. Absolutely. But, um, why don't I ask you a little bit about uh, your background do you, with science fiction television? Have you watched a lot of sci-fi TV in your life? Is this, a, is this a relatively unvisited genre for you? I don't think I watched any sci-fi shows. That's okay. You don't have to have watched any sci-fi shows. That's, what's, uh, that's, that's what happens when you come on here. You have to watch one, whether you like them or not. Question right, two. Right. How many sci-fi nerds have you beaten up? <laughs> I've never beaten any, anyone up. That's not true either. <laughs> <laughs> I've never beaten anyone up. I've never been beaten up either. I've had a couple couple close calls. I've been beaten up in hockey before pretty badly. Mm. But see I've that that, really seemed, that seemed allowed. Yeah, I have like I, allowed, I avoided yeah. I avoided a a a real beating in high school one time, which was wholly deserved because I had been trashing this guy <laughs> verbally for a long time. And then he, before an exam, he came to find me to beat me up. How many bros in high school have you tormented, Jordan? Well, he kind of deserved it. Just because his existence, story. his existence was just annoying to me, <laughs> so I was just always, I was just always like kind of teasing him, and he found out about it. Then he like came to like beat me up. But I had, thankfully, I had two much larger, more muscular friends with me, yeah. and 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 that that stopped the fight, and so I could just continue being the little smart aleck that I always am. <laughs> that's that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, his name was Jeff. Jeff. Is is Jeff going to be a guest on the show, guys? No. He's too busy drinking his creatine like he was doing in high school. I'd make fun of <laughs> him for that. He'd be in class always shaking it. His creatine? Gotta get big. <laughs> gotta loser. be strong. Yeah, gotta be strong. <laughs> anyway. I did watch um I watched a bunch of episodes of uh Stargate SGU because it was like my dad's favorite TV show and you know, if there was like nothing else going on, I'd go hang out with my dad and he would explain like how some of the people have like worms in their brains and like it controls them. <laughs> But and they have like swords that shoot like laser beams out of them, and they go through to like different dimensions through a Stargate. Luke, how come we haven't watched Stargate? That sounds way better than Baffled. I was wondering, can we get Will's dad down here quickly, or what? <laughs> <laughs> he would definitely be a great guest for you. So this week we've watched this show called Baffled, a Leonard Nimoy TV movie failed pilot. Had anyone ever heard of Baffled before? I've never. It seems like it's in this weird existence of post star trek careers we we kind of joked about shatner before and even roddenberry of sort of after star trek 
there doesn't seem to be much that happens. I know that Leonard Nimoy went on to become a pretty good director and directed some pretty large movies. Like I think his biggest movie was Two Men and a Baby. I think that was his. That's correct. That's his big hit. Um, and also a couple of the Star Trek movies and stuff. Like he did. He went, be, went on to become a photographer and all this sort of stuff. But in terms of like his acting career, I mean, he did a lot, but nothing that I think stands out. And I think this this is one of them. This was a standout in his career? No, I think it was not a standout in his oh, career. But yeah. here's the only thing I have to say with that is, isn't it weird to see him smile all the time? It I'm is so, weird. I'm so used to seeing him being Spock. I didn't, I never watched like a ton of Star Trek, but it was like the only reference I had for this film, like Leonard Niboy. And it was basically trying to watch Spock be a leading man. With like, with like a, pink turtlenecks on. Yeah, it was, it was kind of insane. I mean... I feel like they just named this movie after the feeling I had after finishing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And which is weird too. This thing baffled. No one in this is really baffled. Like we'll get into it, but like, they're like, they're like, Hey, by the way, you can tell the future. He's like, huh? I was like, I'd be like, I'd be baffled. <laughs> He's not baffled at all. Yeah. Uh, spoiler for everyone of my personal life. Will and I work together and, uh, Will was asking me all day. He's like, is Leonard Nimoy attractive? Is he an attractive man? I think I, I was he, wondering the whole time. I was like, he's he's got a unique look he's and he's striking. got confidence. But well, he had him. Him and Shatner were like kind of like sex icons in the '60s. Oh, really? Yeah. And and again, it was the beginning of like, wouldn't it be cool if these two guys, I don't know, if they kissed a little bit? There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of those drawings. But like, I think he has sort of striking features, like some other men in that time, like like Dustin Hoffman or Telly Savalas, sort of like guys that you wouldn't really think of as leading men now in the '70s. I think there's a little bit more leeway of kind of yeah. interesting features well that was the other thing too I was, I was i kept wondering i'm like how famous is leonard nimoy at the time he made this film like did he read the script or was he like i'll just take any job that's coming my way it's a good question i mean it's post star trek and that was a failure at the time right so this is like 19 i'll tell you when this came out this was broadcast january 30th 1973 but i think at this point i think the rumblings of star trek were coming coming back and i mean the conventions and things had had happened so I think I think people knew who he was, but I think he was only seen as Spock, you know. Yeah. So is that why he maybe gets a uh, science fiction weird psychic thing like this? Because they're like, well, maybe Spock's name will push this forward, yeah. or is it just like I need uh, a job? Yeah. I th- it's probably it's probably a little bit from column A, a little bit from <laughs> column B, you know. <laughs> this was a. I think you brought this up to me, Jordan, before we started watching. But I guess this originally screened in before it was screened on television was a brief film in theaters in the uk yeah so they they actually did film this in england um not where they say it is they i can't remember what the town is they say but it didn't actually film there but i guess as part of filming there they released it as a movie in theaters like four months before so that's why the dates are a little off on some of these you'll see it as 1972 sometimes 1973 but it aired on nbc in june uh, sorry uh january 30th 1973 but it was in uh in theaters before that i had seen it put down as a second feature in the uk is this like something that you'd go and see like a double feature and maybe this was just like you paid to see the godfather but if you wanted to stick around for the two hours you could watch baffled oh well maybe like it was playing at the drive-ins or something like that yeah maybe something like that i found a whole bunch of movie posters for it though not much for about on tv but a ton of the movie posters that were i guess plastered around england maybe it was a huge success we don't know i don't think it was <laughs> i don't think it was. i typed it into box office mojo but I- no, no, no box results. office. No box office. No, no results. 
before we get into it, I'm going to give us a little background because uh, this is something I like to do and I don't think anyone else enjoys it, but for some reason I do. I'm going to give us a little sense of what the world was like when Baffled originally bro was broadcast. In, in 1973? 1973. I, I went into 1972 a little bit because I figured it was in the movie theaters too. So, um, But here, here are the two kind of big things that were happening when uh, this was ha- when this show, when Nimoy was gracing everyone's screen. December 19th? Apollo 17 returns to Earth, and it's the final uh, Apollo mission. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the end of that first, I think, moon missions. Which is Apollo 11. Was No, was that the one that... Uh, that... 17, sorry, yeah. Or 13's the one that exploded. 13 exploded, and what was the one with Tom Hanks? That's the one. Oh, 13. Apollo 13? 11's the one that landed on the moon, right? Yeah, 11 landed on the moon. 13 was had a problem. And, se- and 17, they said, enough of this. And 17, they're like, well, there's nothing else to see on the moon. Let's, uh, let's all come home. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that was happening during this, it was the end of the Vietnam War. Uh, Nixon had ordered this uh, Christmas bombing of Vietnam, but basically bombed the Vietnamese into submission. And they signed a peace treaty shortly after that. And then uh, in between those two things, Nixon got reelected. Yeah. It, and it, it turned out well for him. Yeah. Baffled was coming out. Nixon was winning elections. What a time. And men were wearing um, the worst outfits ever. We'll say it now, but uh, what's his, I was going to say Shatner. Uh, Nimoy wears... Every every scene he's in, it's like, what could be a funnier outfit? One, he comes, he's wearing a pink turtleneck. One, he's wearing like a, a white leisure suit with like cowboy embroidery. And he's, he, he, I think he wears an ascot at one point. It's just, he just looks terrible. Every scene, it's like, you look ridiculous. But the, but, the white blazer was my favorite. Yeah. But yeah. everyone loves him though. Like the women are just like, yeah, he looks good. I don't know, man. I think he does look good. Do you? I, when, when we asked that question, I, my, my thing was like, I think he might be attractive. I'm not sure. We'll get into it. We'll get into we how talk, we asked he is. Hillary. We we asked Hillary what, our coworker, uh, what she thought, and she was like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like she was so so, and then we sh- we showed her the scene of him uh, when the leading lady opens the door and he's like leaning there with the <laughs> white blazer, the white blazer, and what was his line? I thought British people said schedule, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> but you've used that line before, right? Uh yeah yeah all the time. I mean I think that lean on the door frame when someone opens the door is a real power move. Yeah, like if you're leaning against the door frame, it's like I know I, I know I knocked on your door, but I don't have to come in. I can just <laughs> hang out here. I know he is. Oh, you caught me just still in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure I don't get in. any marks on this white blazer. Got to be very careful. It has to yeah. go back later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. that blazer you're wearing like three times, and then that's garbage. <laughs> Well, by the time this aired, I guarantee that blazer was not in fashion anymore. They probably <laughs> shot it in 1971. They're like, guys, this is going to be the thing everyone's going to wear. And by 1972, probably no one was wearing this blazer. <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me do the MDB summary for Baffled, and then we can get into it. Race car driver suffers from visions where he sees people killed. An ESP expert believes that his visions will really happen. Uh, that was courtesy of Brian Vienne. At prodigy, prodigy.net. I guess that's the plot. But but isn't they, did they say an ESP expert? Isn't she just a bookseller? That is a good question. Because it be also, also, it makes no sense in this movie. Because suddenly <laughs> this, this woman just, we're going to get into it, but a woman just shows up and she's like, hey, want to be like crime fighters? And he's like, all right. And that's how it goes. Yeah, uh, she sees an interview on, of him on TV talking about visions. And then she takes it on herself to save the woman in the vision of this race car driver she's watching on television. Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, she might be an ESP expert, but that's that's Leonard Nimoy. He's in this show a race car driver, 
Nothing yeah. special or supernatural. He's just a man who's good at driving race cars. Uh, he's in the Pennsylvania USAC 500. What, what kind of racing is this? Will, is this F1 racing? I don't know anything about racing. I don't either. I thought it was Formula One. Yeah, that's is what that I thought too. F1, yeah. Because uh, it's not NASCAR. The NASCAR has like cars. Yeah, it's kind of got that car that's like skinny with a point, like a shark at the end, like a mm. hammerhead yeah, shark. Yeah, like a hammerhead shark, yeah. Yeah, I was like, maybe this is F1. I'm not really sure. But essentially, we kind of see him racing his cars, which is my favorite thing because every time you cut to Nimoy driving the car, it's just that classic 70s back projection. Yeah. Well, the actual driving around looks pretty good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that looks like it's like real Smokey and the Bandit sort of like going around. But then, yeah, they cut to that terrible green screen where it's him. And he's moving a wheel like no one would ever move a wheel. I, I we were watching. Then Laura said that's because that's because it was before power steering or steering. But I don't think that's I don't know if that's what it is. I think it's just actors doing this. And no one can see what I'm doing, but I'm moving my hands real quick. <laughs> you know? Imagine Jordan is not just jerking off one dick, but two, one in each hand. But not in unison, like no, no, opposite. No, no, it's off. It's, like it's off cow. tempo. You don't do it yeah, off tempo. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. You want to be in the big leagues? It's funny how like that you. We're watching like the the race car stuff and thinking like, oh, this is this is like not viable or not believable. There was so many. I was like, I thought that was some of the finest production value <laughs> we saw in the film. Yeah. I was like, okay, like you know, they got the racing car stuff. They got that pretty well done. And then for you know 1971 or whatever. But then as the movie went on, I was like, but no one no one read this script before they went to camera. <laughs> no, it seems like they ad libbed the whole thing. <laughs> it's. I think it's like a, I, I love how the producer is also the director and he just like, he must have just like Passion found project. a script on a coffee table and is like, and off we go to <laughs> it production. Was, it was holding up the coffee table. <laughs> it is a bizarre script. Uh, and this is certainly like the race car stuff at the beginning is some of my favorite stuff. And in this race, basically kicking off the entire show, Nimoy has a car accident i guess he kind of has a vision in the middle of the race which causes him to have a car accident yeah he spins out of control and kind of crashes to the side they then they kind of make it seem like it was a bigger crash than it was because he's like somewhat injured but he basically just like kind of veers off into some like hey that's about it he like back ends into a tree and then you see nimoy getting some sort of direction like you're dead and he just kind of like thumps his head to the side for it and then like the crew runs over and pulls him out and he's just like they're like Oh my God, that's such a bad crash. He's like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm just like, what What happened? Because later, I actually, because what will happen is after this crash, we'll jump cut to him in the middle of an interview on television telling them about the visions he had when he crashed. Yeah, it's weird because they, they clearly want to get the point across to the viewer that he's now gained these superpowers through this crash. Like, how are we going to do it? It's like, well, he'd be interviewed about it, clearly. And so he's just on, and it's just, it was really weird. But it's, it's also a scene to introduce the other character. Do you know, what's her name? Um, what is her name? Fine question. Let me pull it up here. Michelle, Su- Susan, Michelle, Michelle Brent. Yeah, Michelle Brent. Yeah. Michelle Brent, yes. The, Played by Susan Hampshire. Yeah. The uh, rare books trader who, by trading rare books, has become an occult expert. <laughs> yeah. Which, but, did anyone else in this room realize it was about a cult until about five minutes to the end? Because I didn't. Maybe I missed it. But at the end, they're like, a cult. I'm like, what? She's, what? She says a cult a lot. Oh, does time. she? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I, I think that. I just stopped listening anytime she talked, maybe. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, like, she was a bookseller. Like, she could just be an occult-like person that sees the interview. Yeah, why why can't she be just a researcher? I mean, there's no reason that Leonard Nimoy's character needed to be a race car driver or any reason why this race car driver should be the recipient of these They have to have that race scene at the end. That's how you know he has a race car car driver. (laughs) That's it. 
did you uh, this comes up much later but did you catch the backstory for how uh how she got into her line of work no no i missed it she uh late in the show she kind of goes into how she got into the line of work. she's like when i was younger i was gonna join a convent but then i won a beauty contest and went to university <laughs> No way. As you do. I was just like, what? What is this apropos to anything? This um, show has really, really odd dialogue. And I couldn't tell if the actors were, it was like a mouthful for them or it was just really, really badly written. But every scene, it's like they did one take and thought, that's good. That's enough. I think it's a combination of just having really unnatural dialogue and then subpar actors delivering them. Well, there you a, go. With a director who uh, didn't do a pass on the script. Yeah. <laughs> Baffled! Exclamation mark. <laughs> uh, I like, basically, she sees him on TV, and we immediately jump cut to the inside of Leonard Nimoy's apartment where she's already arrived. Yeah. Like, there's no fussing around with how people get from place to place in this. She's just like, I got to talk to this guy about his visions. Cut. She's just sitting in his apartment talking about his visions. I'm like, how did you get in there? Yeah, there, there does seem to be a few scenes missing, but I, I did appreciate that they just wanted to keep things moving. Like, he's a race car driver. I uh, banged his head. He has ESP. All right, guys, move on. She's a bookseller. <laughs> She's down in his apartment. Move on. Let's just get it going. It's like, all right, all these details. Don't worry about it. It's going to, and it's like, because the payoff's going to be so good at the end. It'll be all worth it. I actually think that there is no stuff missing. It's funny. It doesn't work. But uh, we've watched a lot of these older shows where they'll just like drag things on forever, like literally watch someone get in a car and drive where they're going and get there. And this show seems to understand it's like the audience doesn't need any of that. We can just jump to the relevant information. It's just not good at executing that because it still gives you all the information you need. It's just like so jarring. It just jumps you so jarringly across time. And we, we find out, though, here that his name's Kovac because I think they say it like 40, 14 times in the in the scene. They like even talk about it because at one point she's like, is that Polish? Because she suddenly becomes my father. I has to know everyone's nationality based on their last name. <laughs> yeah, and he, was, it, he was like, yes, it's Polish. It was like, oh, this is this is not. They, they spend so much time on weird dialogue like this, but don't explain why a woman, just how, how she appeared in someone's apartment. Yes, his name is Tom Kovac, international race car driver. Mm-hmm. And now potential psychic because she's come there to basically convince him that his visions are real. She makes him like draw. Actually, we have not said this. Do you remember what he saw in his visions? He saw the castle, the woman screaming, and a hay wagon. Yes, exactly. And she thinks this woman's in trouble. So he, she's there to be like, hey, why don't you draw the house you saw in your vision so I can prove to you that you have psychic abilities? I love that because she gets him to draw a castle, and he draws it, and she goes, that's fantastic. And I yelled at the TV, it's not fantastic. It was a terrible, terrible drawing. It really didn't look anything it like... It didn't look anything like the castle. And she's like, that's the castle. I was like, oh, she just wants to spend time with this guy because it looks nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, she was very encouraging of anything that he said. She was like, he's like, oh, here's like a castle. And she's like, that's fantastic. And he's like, oh, I had this vision. She's like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said to him, she goes, uh, that he had a rare and mysterious insight. That's what I wrote down. Oh, rare and mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nemo, on the other hand, he doesn't really care about his vision. He really just wants to like go on a date. He keeps trying to get her a martini. Or at one point he asks her, uh, he's like, I know a great Armenian restaurant we should go to. <laughs> you guys, what's Armenian food? I did I did wonder that, but I didn't look it up. All I know, all I know about Armenia is the genocide. So <laughs> I was just like, I, I assume they're all laugh. We all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> genocide. I've just never heard anyone be like, you want to get some Armenian food? I'm like, maybe. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> I need to hear more. Well, uh, he, just, he just assumed because she was a bookseller that she's a classy lady. She has very diverse taste and she would know what 
Armenian food would You'll be like. You'll tell me what it is, Yeah, right? I'm assuming a lot of boiled potatoes. <laughs> it, it just goes to show how, we'll, like, if a woman is interested in what Leonard Nimoy is saying, he doesn't care what <laughs> he's saying as long as she's interested in it. It's like, oh, I had these visions about a oh, screaming lady. She's like, wow, tell me more. And he's like, all right. He says to her, he, 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 goes, he goes, you're a great looking chick. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about this today, too. There is a great line where... She's about to leave and he tells her, I've got the entire line here because I love, I love the entire line. He's just like, I like, he turns to her and says, I like you. You're warm. You're enthusiastic. And why shouldn't I say the word? You're a great looking chick. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, weird. Yeah. There's this, and we'll, we'll talk. I know you're, you've, I'm sure you've written it down later on about <laughs> women's lib, but this is like a weird theme that's gone through all these shows we've seen in the seventies where there's this um, immediate feeling and need to, uh, defend themselves as to this attack of like feminism, and it it just happens in all these old shows. They're just like, well, you know, like I'm a man, so feminism, am I right? And it's like, what was happening at the time? Like, it just has to be in all the shows, and this one's no, this one's no exception. It's true, it's true. It's uh, they're very worried. Any film, any of these things from the 70s and 80s, there's quite clearly culturally like everyone's worried about gender roles and how they fit, and like they're not opposed to women's liberation. But they're they're a little confused by. It. Do you, do you guys think that it was like a defensive se- sentiment of the time that's expressed, or do you think it's just the director, writer trying to like put that movement in a box and like be like derisive towards it? Mm, I think it's a, definitely of the time. Certain shows we've watched have certainly wanted more to put it in a box than others. Like I, it varies from show to show. I don't know about this one. We'll get into it when we get to yeah. the line. Maybe maybe we'll do it now, actually, because it's not important. At some point when they get to this manor, they find out there's a broken old car that's named Gurley that Leonard Nemo is going to spend the entire show fixing. And because the car's named Gurley, this is when it comes up, is uh, Michelle Brandt. Is that her name? Sure. Michelle Brandt. Uh, Brent. B-R-E-N-T. Oh, Brent. Yeah. She... Says to Nemo, she's like, why do men always name their machines that, that serve them after women? And Leonard Nimoy goes, oh, are you one of those? And she finishes the sentence. She's like, uh, women's liber? No, no, no. I'm just open to many views. Yeah. Well, because you need the viewer to know that there's still a chance that he may be able to, he may be able to sleep with her. Because if she's one of these women lib people, they're equals. And that's just not going to happen. So they just want to pepper this in now. She's not one of those feminazis you guys keep hearing about. It definitely seems like the writer, by having her preemptively assure the viewer, yeah. listen, I know there are women livers out there. I'm not one of them, but <laughs> it is it is weird. And I think, to your point, Will, in this particular case, I do think maybe the writer was uh, trying to put it in a box. Yeah. There, there's, there were so many like views expressed that I was like, is this of the time or is this of the filmmakers? That I don't know. There's Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Basically, what this scene is doing is setting up that... Uh, Michelle and Kovac are now like a team and they're going to go to Wyndham in Devon. Not quite yet. No? Actually, um, what this is setting up is that Nimoy has to at first turn down his powers because he refuses to go with her and sort of like, I don't believe it. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I only mentioned it because it is maybe one of my favorite scenes of the movie because there's a brief scene where he's getting ready for bed and he's about to jump in the shower and he's stripping his shirt off and I'm just like, are we going to see sexy naked Leonard Nimoy but the phone rings and kind of distracts him as he walks past he walks past his New York City apartment building window so you see all of New York and as he turns around and comes back the other way they very cleverly like swapped out a 
image of this like manor castle, this Windham at Devon that he has mm-hmm. to go to to save this woman. And he has this vision, which is actually, I think, pretty well executed. Is he looks at the window and sees it, and he can't stop staring at what he's should be New York in this, but is, is this manor. And there's a slow motion, like, shot of him running to the doors and pounding on them. And then he's he's running in and riding a spooky elevator up to the top of this manor. And he goes out in this balcony and immediately falls off in this, like, falls down off these cliff shores into this sea in this, like, slow motion, magical, like, vision-y moment. And when he hits the water, he immediately wakes up on his apartment room floor just soaking wet. Yeah. And uh, he realizes he needs to go see Michelle Brandt because his visions are real. But there's no other time where he has a vision where uh, he has some sort of... Oh, the full l- interaction? Yeah, exactly. The, the He has, like, a lasting element on him. Like, the, when you see me someone stabbed, he doesn't end up, like, waking up with blood on him. It's just this one time where he gets soaking wet. It is a very promising start to the show that I don't know if ever, they ever fully gone back to. Because it was, it was the best vision, and it was, like, kind of weird and 70s and dreamy. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I mean, I can't wait to talk about the logic of the visions so you guys let me know when we're ready to do that <laughs> all right we'll get into it Let, let's move on but yeah he has his vision he immediately goes and visits uh michelle brandt again brent again which is where we see him leaning against a door frame in a white suit jacket to like right. really wow her and we kind of know they're gonna go to england now and figure it out um figure out who this woman was screaming what's happening what kind of crime is being committed and how can race car driving tom kovac with his new psychic vision save the day it's also weird because they've set up this thing that if I was watching this in 1972 or 73, whenever it was, I don't think I'd be that excited to see what happens to this vision. Like, there's nothing that exciting about the vision. Like, you're saying you see a house, a woman screams, and you're like, as if you were going to be like, oh, I, I, I got to see why that woman screams. Like, who cares? Who cares? Go back to your race car driving. That's way more exciting. I don't understand why he did any of this. The only reason he would do any of it is because he wants to, like, sleep with this woman, right? I mean, you might not be wrong. I, that might be the uh, subtext of the show. Also, I mean, we jumped over it a bit, but I, I don't know if you guys pay, like noticed the opening shot of the film is literally a zoom shot. They're talking about being in LA and how they're like not they're gonna like leave LA behind, and then there's a zoom shot of like an exit to the airport, but it's in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did notice that. That's funny. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's so much like dialogue around the logic of like what the characters are doing and where they're going, but it's like always inconsistent. So it's like, why they're always spell cutting it themselves out? down. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. All right. We're going to get into this now, but I'm going to sort of go into this because they're going to head off to this manor at Wyndham and start trying to solve this mystery. And what we're going to get into here is just like a whole bunch of like supernatural ish who done it with so many characters and so many red herrings. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go through all of the characters who are at this Wyndham Manor so that we don't have to talk about them all individually as we go. We can kind of just like scream through the plot. But like, let me go through all the people who are going to be like hanging around this manor that William, William Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy has to figure out who did what. And let me just say real quick, it was really weird that all these people are staying at this manor and then they all just want to hang out together. Like you think they'd just be staying there and then go off to do their own thing during the day. But it's like, I'm going to stay at this manor. Like then I'm just going to like hang out in the lobby and like maybe someone else will come by and we'll like play checkers. Like it was just really weird. It was like a, it was like they were in a weird fraternity. Yeah, I always found it weird that you would have dinner with like a bunch of strangers and try to make polite, nonsensical conversation. Oh, seems this, like seems like a nightmare. This movie's all about that. <laughs> Who would spend like a lot of money and time to go to just like they 
they hang out in a house LA and eat with strangers to denver yeah to then england to hang out with strangers so weird all right let me get into it so the first sort of group of characters we need to know about are the screaming woman and her daughter from nimoy's visions which is andrea glenn a famous actress for some reason mm-hmm. and her daughter jennifer uh they've been invited to Wyndham by her estranged by the daughter's estranged father who she hasn't seen in 11 years mm-hmm. she's only 12 years old so she's never seen her father and uh they're hoping uh, when they get there, they'll get a reconnect and maybe rebuild the family. But when they get there, he's nowhere to be found. And let me just mention real quick. I know it is because of plot point later on. But when you first see the little girl, she's dressed so ridiculously with the pigtails and stuff. And I was like, is is this how it's supposed to look? Is she supposed to look? like it looks like she's a teenager who's being dressed like a five year old. <laughs> but it ends up being a plot point. So I was like, I guess I'll forgive it. But it's weird. Yeah. Agreed. Also, sorry. How how like I know you guys try not to like spoil the. That's fine. It doesn't Where matter. This, this came out in 1973. It's all right. I know, but like you don't, you don't want to go out of order. Like I kind of, I, I was anyway. I'll just ask my question, and then you guys can cut it out if you want. But when the the mother daughter walk in to the little cottage where they think the husband dad is going to be, did you think that that old lady in the wheelchair was going to be bad news? Let's get to that. I'll real bring quick. up. She's right here on my list. Yeah. That the woman in the cabin is Louise Stanford. She's uh, the only relative of the dad, and she like lives in this little village, and they'll go and visit her when they can't find the dad. And she explains that she was the one who sent the letter because the dad asked her to, and like, oh, he's so busy with work, but I'm I'm here to make to greet you and make sure everything's going well. I'm sure he'll be along soon. She really is excusing the dad and like kind of welcoming them. But yes, to your question, she seemed very suspicious. Yeah, I think she she seems suspicious, but I didn't think she'd be uh, like you know, end level boss. Oh yeah. You know, well, she's wheelchair bound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the wheelchair threw me for a loop, but I just have like a. I wasn't sure if it was there was something like hint in the movie that just made me feel this way, or if it was I like general mistrust of like old British women that I have. I will say, I think at some point she does say someone says, and I think it's her. She says when they can't find her dad, that oh, it's probably because he has some super surprise he's waiting to spring on you. <laughs> like I was just like, oh yeah, that's never goes well. Yeah. And uh, uh, we'll cut this, but I was sure you were going to say your general mistrust of people in wheelchairs. <laughs> I was sure you were going to say that. No, I just find when like, especially, I don't know why it's especially British, but when someone is just overly polite for mm. no reason and they have all these mannerisms about them being polite, I'm just like, you're going to be bad you. news. Yeah, I'm you're going to be you. bad news in this I'm on to you with your three different forks at dinner. Yeah. What is that about? All right. Uh, let's get into the next character. One we uh, really won't meet exactly um but the louis stanford brings him up when they're trying to figure out where the dad might be he the dad used to have a friend named john paris parish sorry john parish he's a bit of a creep and but he used to be good friends with the dad and uh, no one's seen him in a while but maybe if we can track him down he'll know where the dad is yeah that was weird because he really won't appear until the very end but people just keep bringing up it and they keep referring to him as a creep too which is like yeah very strange yeah, why is the dad hanging out with this guy? Sounds like. Yeah, I mean, sounds like the dad's probably a creep too. If they're, they're both friends, creeps. exactly. And then the mom married the creep and had a child with him, and she's hoping to hook up back with him. She made that very clear at the beginning. It is true. He has so a- it's like you're kind of, you know, you're not innocent in all of this. <laughs> I'd say you bring up a good point. Is the daughter's just like I haven't seen dad in eleven years. I can't wait to see him. Mom, do you think you two will get back together? And she's like, Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. No, it's not even like that. She's like, Oh, I think we will. Like she's yeah. clearly is waiting for them to get back together, like which is a weird thing 
I mean, just outside of a not very well written pseudo science fiction TV show, but as writing a character, like you haven't seen someone in a decade, you just assume like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably probably get back together. Yeah. She was like, I spent the last decade, decade getting famous. So I'm going to show up and he's been writing me these nice letters now, which turn out to be suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a weird one. I mean, you think after 11 years, you need some sort of parent trap at least to get them back together. Yeah. Yeah. There's none of that. No, no parent traps. Just a cult. And we got the Italian guy. Is he next on your list? Sure. I'll, I'll bring him up next. Uh, Signor Vorelli, or as I just wrote in my notes, uh, Italian stereotype. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> like he might as well be running around with like like spaghetti and meatballs in his hands. Yelling, like, mamma mia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, yeah. I thought it was very authentic. You thought it was authentic? <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a guest who's staying at the manor as well. He's uh, an engineer, or he claims to be an engineer from Italy who built all the roads in Italy. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah. He said, oh, I'm an engineer. In Italy, all roads run to my office because I build all the roads in Italy. And I was hmm. like, hmm. I don't know if that's how roads work. But but he didn't say it like that. What, what does his voice sound like, Luke? Oh, well, I can't do accents. You know that. A pizza pie. It was like that. <laughs> Pretty good. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for doing the accent work. Uh, and the only thing we really know about him is he loves his wine and port. Yeah. He's pretty uh, one note as far as the character goes. Yeah. Port was a plot point for... Oh, Way too long. There was a long period of time where I don't. I, it seemed like they were trying to distract him, but it was unclear why because they weren't distracting from anything. And it, she, Michelle just keeps asking him about port, and he just keeps talking about port. And I'm like, is this going somewhere? It wasn't. We should mention this, and I think we've talked about this in some previous, and I, I think it might be a bit of the from the time period. But and Luke, I know you're going to get back to your characters. They spend so much time just wasting time on this movie for a movie that takes a lot of time. Um, takes so much time on setting stuff that doesn't matter they don't spend any time on things that would matter like the actual mechanics of the story and that seems to be i think i don't know if it's just of this time period or if it shows that aren't successful and that's why but like you're saying they're like they'll talk for 10 minutes about wine where then characters will show up they're like why they're like don't worry about it we just spent all that time talking about wine that's what's more important here yeah yeah i had the same question in my head just about do they have to connect these dots because like, I guess like our, you know, we're used to watching films differently. So like we have like a different setting for, you know, montages and like natural connections that they didn't, but like there's, there's like good movies in this, you know? Yeah. There weren't all bad. So, movies yeah. So it's yeah. obviously like, I felt like poorly crafted. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I felt like someone was like, I'm writing a mystery. So I need to have lots of like, distractions but usually those distractions tie into the plot whereas this was just like uh, just distractions so you don't yeah. know what information is important because there's just so much boring information yeah like uh, we, we'll talk about the reveal at the end but even at the end i was like who are we talking about right now because it was just so many people and i didn't know who they're talking about and i was like uh, well, oh, okay wow that's amazing we are currently i believe three groups of characters into this show mm-hmm. i think i have three or four more people to go through to set up who is in this stupid manner yeah uh there's mr and mrs tracewell uh, a pair of newlywed guests who are hanging out at the at the manor with everybody they're very selling drugs on the side selling drugs on the side they're very cagey about what their business is and uh, at some point we'll find they have a case of drugs in their car and where nimoy is pretty sure these are a couple of drug dealers hanging out here he looks like uh uh this the guy in the couple looks like he's uh, one of the monkeys yeah uh, very floppy hair i i don't know if either of you noticed this the first time we see that couple they're trying to rush to catch the elevator in the manor mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. turns around she's dressed normally he is wearing a very short robe and nothing else yeah that's right i just assumed they were coming back from the pool that's what i thought too 
Oh, maybe. Is there a pool there? I've seen no indications. To well, the, the, there's an ocean. The, the place they're filming at clearly does not have the ocean behind them. But <laughs> but, but when you see it, but they tell you, yes, by the way, uh, don't look past the house. There's an ocean back that the ocean. But uh, yeah, I guess they have a pool, too. Why not? I don't know. I was just baffled. I was like, I'm like, wait, wait, who is this man? And why is he wearing no clothing? Did you say you were baffled? I was baffled. That's why the show is so aptly named, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, next up, there's Hopkins, the butler. Don't worry about him, though, because at some point, Nimoy says, hey, he's a nice guy. Don't worry about him. And we don't for the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. Why does he think he's a nice guy again? I don't know. He has one comment where they like they, he, they connect on some he just, level. It's just because the writer was like, well, we just want to get him out. So they're just like, don't worry about him. He's a good guy. Well, at some point, the owner of the place is going to throw Nimoy out. So Hopkins goes up to like see Nimoy at the door. And he's like, are you ready to go, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kovac? And he's just like, I haven't packed my bags yet. And the man's like. All right, well, I guess I'll pack your bags so I can throw you out. And Nimoy just walks away. He's like, hey, nice guy. He's packing my bags for me. He's like, no, oh, you're <laughs> getting tossed out of this hotel. Anyway, the that that guy pops up occasionally, but very clearly not important. I actually think when Michelle makes that like a meta wink at the camera, she's like, this time it's not the butler. Wink. <laughs> I actually think that is the line. Oh, okay. I, 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 have to, I have to rewatch it. I'll never rewatch it. And then uh, the final character I'll go into is the woman who owns runs the manor this little uh vacation spot mrs faraday mm-hmm. she's an older woman but she's uh she's pretty frisky and uh she is also always around to provide helpful information to force this plot to move forward yeah. it's also i mean again not to get too far ahead of ourselves but when you find out what she's actually intending in this film it's strange that she would accept all these other a guests to arrive as it, one of the master only makes yeah. her life way more challenging. <laughs> and and let, let me just throw this in now, and it's it's going to ruin a bit of a plot, but you find out through this movie that she's slowly getting younger. Yeah. But did anyone else think she actually looked younger? I thought she looked exactly the same. Oh, oh no, no she I thought she looked, looked good. Yeah, did yeah. she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought she just looked like a forty-five-year-old woman the whole movie. No, they they aged her up a lot at the start. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh well, it's just me. You just think anyone over 40 is like hideous. I guess. I actually like kind of recognized it before it was even a plot point. I was like, oh my gosh, this uh, madame looks surprisingly <laughs> young. Good today. Yeah, <laughs> no, then... I did too. I was just like, whoa, did Mrs. Faraday get hot? Yeah. She did. <laughs> she did. At the expense of. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is all the characters. Nimoy and Michelle are going to arrive here now and uh, sort of set up shop to kind of figure out what's happening here. And who the screaming woman is but they're trying to do it in secret there is there is an element that we're not going too much but there's a moment where they're driving into the london and it's a very dumb scene where uh she's driving and women can't drive so nimoy has to be like scared the whole time but they come up with some sort of plan where they're going to arrive separately for some reason yeah they they uh, it didn't make any sense because then because later in the movie the woman's upset about it but they both want to arrive separately so people don't think they're together and that they've just met for no reason. There's no reason. It doesn't change anything. But then later on in the movie, what's her name? Faraday's like, wait a minute. I don't like people lying to me. They knew each other ahead of time. It's like, what? Who cares? It's so weird. It's it's bizarre on many levels because A, the scene doesn't need to exist except for to show us that women don't know how to drive. And B, as soon as they have this whole plot to arrive in separate on uh, convoys and then immediately hang out with each other the whole time yeah 24 like hours together. a day yeah but then <laughs> it's the impetus for like the madame to like throw them out at the end 
but again, she didn't need to invite them in the first place because it only like it's like of course she wants to throw them out because she wants to get them out of their hair, but like they also didn't need to be invited anyway. Yeah. So I, it's like you could have said it's rooms full. all insane. Yeah. It's like a she brought it on herself. Yeah, she got greedy. <laughs> all right, self-perpetuating uh, horrible writing. <laughs> yeah. We get one of these first scenes where the guests all join each other for dinner, which you were talking about earlier, this baffling scene where they enjoy dinner <laughs> together. I'm going to say baffling all the time. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, the daughter, she excuses herself from the dinner because she's she's not hungry. Um, and the mom proceeds to tell them a little meet cute about how she met the husband while they were acting in London and their creep friend was there, et cetera, et cetera. But this is really just a setup because we cut away from the dinner and Jennifer hasn't gone to bed. She's snuck outside to a creepy old shed in the backyard mm-hmm. and waiting there is a man a man who says he's her father mm-hmm. yeah just in the line of uh creepiness as well the the mother admits that she met the husband because he was staring into her dressing room from across the hall from across the yeah another building. window <laughs> yeah. yeah so again just another example of how this mother is uh complicit in the line <laughs> oh, of creeps man. that are like tormenting her daughter I mean, she loves creeps, and she's uh, birthed herself a little creep. <laughs> Did you guys not get paused by that story of like how they fell in love? I was like, wow, that's so that's super. It, it, was seemed, it seemed fine. It seemed fine to me. <laughs> it was it was weird. You're not wrong because across the hall, and they get married. She says like three days later. Yeah, like it is quite the meet cute she's describing. Hmm. And but I wasn't surprised. She can't wait to hook back up with them though. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised he left after the daughter was born. I'm like, yeah, he's uh, you married yeah. him after three days. He's a scumbag. But in this in this shed, he gives her like a weird uh, what do you call it? like stamp thing for like uh, stamping wax. What do you call that? Oh, a seal. Is he gives her a seal, but it's like a necklace. Yeah, it's like a little pendant, I think. A pendant, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he gives her, he gives her a little pendant of a wolf, and she sort of tells him, and he tells his daughter or the that he has to hide from their mother. He she can't tell her mother. That he's arrived because people are after him and he's trying to protect them. So she has to keep this all a secret. And there's a line of dialogue here that he tells to her that like someone grooming a child for like something terrible. <laughs> because his line is, he turns to this little girl and says, you'll have to be strong in some ways. You'll have to give up being a child. You'll have to keep a number of secrets from your mother. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. just like, this is how you get molested. <laughs> Well, they did. They, you did sort of think that might have been what was going to happen, but it's not. It's much more sinister. <laughs> the occult. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys know that the the wolf was a sign of the occult? I did not. Because every time that little wolf thing shows up on screen, there's like a. I mean, there's a lot of music doing a lot of work throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I I love the music in this. The music. <laughs> the music is so over the top, and we didn't talk about the opening credits, which are just like. A montage of stuff you're going to see and they go on for i don't know 23 minutes or so the credits and it's just the most 70s music 